Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. my hair let me zhuzh my hair a little bit <laughs> let's zhuzh the hair okay hello everybody it's chawan here and i am so excited to have my friend rachel of aeolian heart with me my name aeolian heart uh -huh. and you know heart um it's a play on words i'm actually making a little reference to the aeolian harp which is a wind harp. It's an instrument that is uh -huh. uh, put into like a windowsill or just placed out into a field, and it's played by the wind itself. Oh. And it was super popular, this Aeolian harp, uh, during the Romantic period. And during that time, all of the great artists, the poets and the painters, they were really, really into experiencing nature in its most primal essence, getting back to the spirit of nature and the spirit of creation. And one of the ways that they did that and they sought inspiration was they would let these wind harps be played and they would be like really inspired by the sound that nature was making, the music that's actually in the wind. It really does describe a lot of what the process of being an astrologer is like. You really open up to natural rhythms and to energies and you let them sort of guide you and you really are played, almost plucked like a harp um, by these energies that you open up to and learn to interpret. Rachel? Yeah. She is an astrologer, and just the way that she explained all this is one of the reasons why I started following her newsletter and looking at her website, because the way that she describes astrology is so unique, yeah. and what I've realized as I've gotten older is the aesthetics that somebody presents, even without explicitly saying so, like you can sort of sense like their worldview, and the worldview that you come with. Um, like the romantic poets and stuff and what you mentioned about nature. And from what I learned in your class is how astrology is actually extremely natural. It is kind of like biology. It's kind of like chemistry. It's like the natural sciences. Astrology is a science. Mm -hmm. It's not a hard science. So first, I'm certainly not trying to say that it's the same thing as astronomy, which is a hard science. Astrology is a geocentric discipline, meaning that it is actually taking into account what is happening in the heavens from the perspective of Earth itself. And this is one reason why modern scientists really discredit it, because we know that the Earth is not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And astrologers know that too. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they've always known that. Um, nevertheless, the perspective from Earth is important. The fact that you acknowledge your point of perspective as an observer is key. And it's a key to being a great artist or a great scientist, actually acknowledging where you are, what your point of perspective is, what your point of um, analysis is, and what kind of questions you're asking as a result. So 
considering the fact that we are actually as astrologers or anyone interested in astrology really taking it seriously that we're here on earth then we can look at what's going on in the heavens from that vantage point so from our vantage point here on earth it appears that the sun rises and sets astronomically speaking no it does not rise and set we are actually turning um, but that does not change the fact that we experience this great arc of light which rises every day and then falls and that there is a huge division in how it feels to be awake and alive in the day or awake and alive at night. There is a major shift in our consciousness and our experience and the things that we do, the way that we behave. There's a difference between um, when the moon is full and the moon is new. And just these two things, just watching the sun and the moon from the vantage point of the earth is, um, and acknowledging your energetic relationship with those things, that's astrology. And so it can get a lot more complex than that. There's more than just the sun and the moon, but it can also be as simple as that, just having a relationship with the sky, the sun and the moon, and what positions they're in and how that affects you and what that does for your life, you know, how that, how that really shifts the way that you relate to nature itself. So um, that's what uh, astrology is fundamentally, is the study of the quality of experience rather than just the measurement of experience. Acknowledging that in some ways, no matter what we know about the universe, no matter what we know about how expansive and how we're not at the center of it, something in our consciousness and everything in our sensate experience still feels that we are. And that's important to acknowledge. That reminds me of that book, Stranger in a Strange Land, where mm -hmm. there's an astrologer character in the book. She's trying to draw a chart for the Martian but he was, he's a human being born on Mars. And she's like, yeah. how do I create a chart for somebody who was born on a different planet? Right. Yeah. But it's also kind of giving respect to the fact that our experience kind of transcends sort of like the very, almost in a way, like smaller perspective of, you know, where are we like little ants, like in the solar system, like positioned. Um, and isn't that what nature is like? I think anybody who's really in tune with nature, and I'm not saying that I particularly am, but you know, when you read a scientific paper versus you read a romantic poet talking about the seasons, you can get something out of both. You know, you can sense, like, by combining both, like, what if an alien came down to Earth and was like, I don't want to live here because my fucking body will explode, but I want to really know what it's like. Read a scientific paper, then read like a poet talking about all the seasons, mesh them together. So one of the ways that I found you, Rachel, was I heard Carolyn Elliott talk about you. And I looked at your emails, like the email newsletter you send out, and you have this amazing way of referencing pop culture, songs, paintings, um, just a wide variety of art culture music to talk about astrology and this makes me think this girl she she's got some book learning behind her right so what's your background like my background um i was originally well my first idea for a career was to be a school teacher so i went and became a high school english teacher and that um was wonderful in terms of 
teaching. I love teaching and I loved what I was doing with my students, but I really can't stand working for people. And in that system, it was heartbreaking. So I decided that what I wanted to do instead was be a professor. And so I went back to school. I went and got a master's degree in humanities. And the whole idea was I'll do this humanities degree and I will teach art history history, philosophy, literature, all the things that I love to people who are grown up and are getting an education of their, by their own free will, which became important to me after being a high school teacher because I, I realized I couldn't, I don't want to force people to be somewhere that they don't want to be. Um, and in grad school, I was also studying astrology as I had been for many years. But I started to take it really, really seriously in that I was weaving it into my research and putting it into my papers, um, which was incredibly alienating to my professors because they do not have any, uh, they do not consider astrology to be a legitimate anything. And so I guess a rebellious streak took over and I started using astrology to inform my work. And I started using astrology to give context to the research papers that I was writing on historical figures and philosophical movements. And I was just using astrology to help me examine great movements in history, great people in history. And I had to work twice as hard uh, because my professors really didn't approve. So in order to get A's, I had to work twice as hard in order to do that. But I found this kind of, um, this great joy, this ecstatic pleasure in doing this. And I started writing about whatever I wanted and using astrology too. And I didn't really care what they said in response. I became a completely different person in grad school because I had always been very cooperative and agreeable. And something just came over me. And I no longer was. It was my Saturn return. That's one thing. <laughs> so like, that's why. Um, but my Saturn return was there kind of hitting me over the head and telling me that I had to develop something that I had never developed before, which is courage to speak my mind and write about what I care about and what I love. And so by the time I graduated, I had done everything. I was a TA, I got published, I gave talks. So I was, I was the whole nine yards. And when I was done, no jobs came through. I was not given any of the jobs I had been promised and like I had a complete nervous breakdown because what am I going to do? I still had this like very low level job. How am I going to support myself? And so I, um, began to write an astrology blog, not because I knew that's what I was going to do, but just to pass the time. Cause I had all of this practice writing and writing and writing and researching and writing. And I needed something to do because I was so used to it. I was like a racehorse that didn't have a racetrack. So I started this little astrology blog just to blow off steam and it turned into something like fairly quickly. I just started putting stuff out there and I had never done anything like that before. And actually three weeks into my first, um, my first blog attempt in my entire life, three weeks in, I published an article in a group and that's how I met Carolyn Elliott. Cause she wrote me and she said, I really like your, 
blog, would you like a column on my blog, which was Witch. It was called Bad Witches back then. That time at Carolyn Elliott, we ended up um, writing a book together, a little ebook on the Pluto and Scorpio generation. And um, yeah, she's rad. And um, she helped me to realize that I was actually doing something. <laughs> I was doing something. And then she was like, hey, you're doing something. And it actually alerted me to the fact that I was building a business. So I was able to quit my job five months later after I started my blog. And I've been full-time astrologer writer ever since. And it's been an incredible experience. I also, you know, get to work with clients and share something, share something with them that I've always been sharing with my friends for years, sharing with my friends. And, um, so it's brought like my party life <laughs> and my art life into like my real life. <laughs> it's all like melded as to, it's melded into one. So there's no difference between partying, working, hanging out. It's all the same thing. Did you use yeah. astrology to help you get to the life that you're leading now? Oh yeah, I absolutely did. Like, uh, especially after I graduated. I mean, I was using astrology before, um, for sure, but it got most powerful when I graduated and I had that nervous breakdown. I'm like, what am I going to do? I, I saw this like amazing opportunity. Um, there was Jupiter had just transited into my 10th house and Mercury was about to move into my 10th house and cross my midheaven at this really important point. So that in layman speak is big expansion was coming for my career, big expansion. And there was this opportunity to grab a hold of it and dedicate myself to a new path. And if I just let it go, nothing would happen. But if I actually tried again, the wind's at my back. So I went to the beach with my boyfriend at the time. It's my husband now. We went to the beach and I did this ritual. And I dedicated myself at the appropriate moment, at the appropriate hour. I dedicated myself to the following thing. I said I want to be able to work for myself and offer my services to people who appreciate it through my creative talents, meaning my writing. And that's all. I didn't say that it had to be this, it had to be that. I just said, that's what I want. I just want to be able to write and talk to people and have that be what I do. And that's what ended up happening. I created a, I created a talisman and I let that just do its magic. And I didn't really think about it that much afterwards because that's not really how magic works. You know, you do the ritual and then you live. So I just started living and I didn't start the blog like until after that ritual. And I did the blog thinking that this was like something in the meantime before that picks up, like before I figure out what that thing is, I realized three or four months into writing this blog regularly that, oh, this is your business. <laughs> Stop thinking that it's just your hobby. <laughs> like, this is your business. So it was um, magic, it was astrological timing, and it was also me having to actually come into realizing what was going on. Rachel, she has a class called Discovery, and I was just like, I need to take an astrology class. I don't know what everybody else is talking about. I took her class and I have to say that it was one of the best investments I've made in the past year in terms of classes. Love the class. Um, can you talk more about your class? My class is called Discovery, the Art and Soul of Astrology. And I called it the Art and Soul of Astrology because I did, I really wanted to have a, a full on 12 week class where I introduced to students 
not just how to read their natal chart, but to understand that once you learn the language of astrology and you learn how to read your own natal chart, you're actually working with a powerful, magical, symbolic language that not only can you use to interpret your experience of time in a much more mythic, poetic, magical way, but you can also begin to use your knowledge of astrology to create a much better rhythm of life, meaning that you know when the right timing is to do certain things. So astrology was absolutely essential in the ancient world. All of the great people in the ancient world from every nation, and every culture on this earth, they were all referring to astrological knowledge to plan the buildings, the farming, the rhythm of life was always in tune with the planets. And so it's still that way today. It still gives you a great deal of grace and it still offers an immense amount of success if you know when the right time to do things is. So the whole point of my class is to not only learn how to understand yourself at a much deeper level, because your natal chart contains the most beautiful portrait of yourself as a whole picture. What is the natal chart, by the way? Like for people who don't understand what that means. Of course. Okay, so everybody who uh, knows their birth date, time, and where they were born can draw up a picture of the heavens as they were when they were born. So basically, you were born, if you took a snapshot of the heavens, at the time and place of your birth, your natal chart is a map that represents everything that was in the sky. And it shows where the sun was. And that's what everybody is very familiar with. When they look in the back of magazines, oh, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Libra. That's where the sun was when you were born. But you also, you have a whole complex, actually a whole solar system of planets that are all laid out in your natal chart. It shows where the moon was, where Mars and Venus were, where Saturn was and it shows their angular relationships to each other. So a natal chart is a full picture of your energetic potential. Um, you can look at it as certainly a, a beautiful portrait of what it is that you are blessed with, what you have to offer, and what you have to work with. A lot of people are afraid to look at their natal chart because they're afraid that they will find something out about themselves that's bad or find out that there's some kind of some terrible thing that's coming up for them, um, some, some kind of future that they don't want to realize. And I really insist that your natal chart will never show that. Your natal chart is meant to guide you towards spiritual progression and transcendence. It's not there to scare you or make you feel like you can't do anything. So it's not fate. It's not a study in what you must do or what you cannot do. Your natal chart shows a picture of your creative potential. What is really beautiful about the natal chart, and this is very different than other personality tests, other ways of looking at yourself, um, it does not focus on flaws at all. When you look at your natal chart, you may see something that you might conceive of as a vulnerability or a weakness, but when you look at it in this big context with all these different points, you see this story emerge and you realize, no, 
even something that I would consider to be a vulnerability in the present moment actually plays out. It turns into this great strength. It gives you compassion. It gives you some insight that you need in order to become the best version of yourself. And so when you can see the whole story of your potential laid out like that, it gives you a much more philosophical view of even the things that you would consider to be your flaws. So that's why I think um, looking at your natal chart, reading your natal chart, getting to know this part of yourself or this portrait of yourself is very healing. It's very healing. It heals people who are who feel like they are condemned to um, a certain diagnosis, a certain social level, a certain label, any kind of like static, fixed, or linear perspective on yourself can be greatly expanded. So my class is all about starting to learn astrology, focusing on learning about yourself, which is, of course, the best place to start when you're a student. It's like astrology itself. Acknowledge that you are here on Earth, and that's your point of perspective. When you enter into the study of astrology, start with yourself. That's your point of perspective. And you use your natal chart as your tool to understand this language. And, of course, it's interesting because we're all interested in learning about ourselves. It's a fact. <laughs> like, we're all interested in getting deeper in there and finding out more. And so you take this little journey and you learn how to read your natal chart and you find out things about yourself that you really love. And you find out some things about yourself that are fascinating. And you find out some things that you really already knew but were afraid to admit. And as you do that, you actually pick up on this language. You pick up on the symbolic understanding. You understand the, the signs and the glyphs and the planets. And before you know it, you actually have this language that you can start using to follow what's going on in planetary weather right now. And you can actually start to study, like, how does the weather right now affect my chart? So you can look at, let's say, the recent eclipse. On January 31st, there was a lunar eclipse, which is a full moon lunar eclipse. If you were in my class, at some point, you would be able to look at your chart and you'd be able to see where that lunar eclipse actually affected you and what kind of like development is going on, what kind of progress is being made, what's being shifted. And you can prepare for that by doing something like creating a ritual to kind of hold space for that. Or you can prepare for that by um, giving yourself some space to heal. And you can also prepare for the big changes that are coming by knowing what area of your chart is being affected. So kind of just giving yourself this uh, space of imagination where you say, you know, for the next six months, it's very likely that I'm going to be working on a serious study. I'm going to be devoting myself to a serious study. That's what it looks like. And so you just open up your mind to that. And it makes life more graceful. Well, when I took your class and I learned about my natal chart, yeah. it was in a way, you know, like when people have this chronic illness that no doctor can diagnose. And then finally, when, even if it's something in you that you're just like, you don't like this about yourself, to finally yeah. have something that helps you see, ah, I wasn't crazy. Like, I knew this about myself, and this chart is showing me this. And I love how the way that you teach it is you can express the same thing in a way that's uh, more expansive or in a way that's a little bit more contracted. So it's 
if you choose to express it in a more expansive way, then it could be the same thing, the same relationship between the planets, but the way that it comes out can be extremely beautiful, you know? Like, I almost see it as like a, oh, like for example, I have, I think it was a Mars-Saturn opposition in my chart. And I remember we were talking about this, and I always felt it in myself. And I, I kind of didn't want to face it because... Um, to me, it sounded hopeless. I remember the first time I kind of knew about it, I felt really bummed out, you know, and I think a lot of people would be like, well, that's what I don't want to learn about myself, right? It's like confirmation that the stars are saying I'm fucking doomed. Yeah. But then you were telling me, actually, you can express it in a way almost like um, a boxer, Mars, and a coach, like a really tough coach, Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. And that coach can take this boxer Mars and make this like Mars into like Mike Tyson, like heavyweight mm -hmm. champion of the world. Yeah. You know, and that's also another way that it can be expressed. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I always thought it was more static, but yeah. astrology is not static like that. And that's what's kind of exciting. It's a, it's a genuinely healing art in that way. Um, Cause you're supposed to look at yourself organically, holistically. And, you know, the word holistic means whole. When you see these little parts of yourself compartmentalized away from each other, they can easily be misunderstood as flaws or impediments or things that you don't want to face. If you see the big picture, then you realize, no, this is actually what makes you cool, Chang'un. Like, mm -hmm. this actually makes you tough as nails and actually able to push through, punch through to the next level. And it's kind of like how you attain great things. It's how you attain mastery of many things that are a challenge, a struggle, but you have what it takes to actually overcome and to actually, you know, be victorious over challenge. So it's a great thing, but you have to get the perspective. Um, and it's completely normal in the modern world for people to have um, a static fixed idea. It's interesting because one thing that I know um, I when I was a dogmatic materialist back in the day, and um, I'm sure when you were, um, you think that you're uh, free of superstitions like fate. <laughs> um, and so when I started doing astrology, I noticed that one of the big complaints is that, oh, that's a that's a fatalistic superstitious. Uh, belief system. Um, number one, it's not a belief system. It's a language, <laughs> uh, different. And two, it's not fatalistic. Actually, what's quite fatalistic is believing a diagnosis to be absolutely true. And that's that, that's what you are. And you just walk towards a future that contains that impression of you forever. Mm -hmm. Or another fatalistic idea is that you're going to grow up to be a doctor and you do, <laughs> like, maybe it's not wrong, maybe it's good for you, or maybe not, but it was very fatalistic for you to be told what you were gonna do, and for you to just march towards it. These all suffer from the same problem, which is a linear track of thinking, and it doesn't get off the linear track, it's incredibly fatalistic. Fate comes from an idea of linear time, meaning the past is behind us, the future's ahead, and we're on a single track. There's really no way to go back. There's only going forward, and it's very difficult to get off of the track, and you may head towards a future that you don't like, and it seems very 
overwhelming. Astrology sees things in cycles. So whereas like linear time is a very masculine perspective, and I'm not saying linear time is wrong. We need it. We need to make appointments, train schedules, planes, and certainly for um, business to happen, there needs to be linear time. We have to be real. And there's also historical record. Like linear time is wonderful. We need it. But astrology is cyclical time cyclical time, which is this idea of rise and fall processes that happen over and over again. You get lots of chances. There's a full moon every month. It's a cycle of time. Um, Christmas every year, that's a cycle of time. And these cycles of time, they tend to come with these great stories, these myths, these folk tales. Um, the zodiac itself is this beautiful myth of the sun's journey, the sun's annual journey through the heavens. So beginning at the spring equinox in Aries and traveling all the way through to the last sign Pisces. That's what the zodiac represents, is the sun's cyclical journey through the heavens and from our perspective here on Earth. So cyclical time is never fatalistic, actually. It's much more open. And even if something bad does happen to you, even if something terrible happens, guess what? Cyclical time teaches you that um, it's temporary. <laughs> You're about to rise again. You will rise again. From the ashes, you will rise again. Rebirth always happens. It's not sometimes. It's always. So when you can hold both consciousness, uh, both types of consciousness about time in your perspective, then you can do a lot more. And that's what looking at your whole chart can really do. It can actually teach you like, no, Chawun, you were scared of what that Mars-Saturn opposition meant because of a fatalistic misunderstanding. What's true is that you're not fated to anything. You can use that power for some kind of growth. You know, that's yours to wield for some kind of great evolution in your life. And that's all it is. And what's so great about astrology is, and one of the books that you recommend that I read, or just all your students read, is um, what's it called? The Inner Sky? Um, yeah. And I forgot the author's name. Oh, he's a very famous. Steve Forrest? Stephen Forrest? Yeah. Um, and he talks about how astrology is simply a tool. I mean, you would get to the same sort of destination or realizations about yourself through a great love affair or through some sort of like big life event. But you want a really quick sort of diagnostic? I mean, just look at your astrology chart. You know, it's like looking at a map rather than creating the map by yourself from scratch. But you can do that too. Nothing wrong with that. What I find the most helpful about astrology is that it tells me, okay, I have Mars and Saturn in opposition. And I always wondered, because I was at this impasse of how do I resolve this? Um, modern psychology wasn't really helping me, you know, talking to people wasn't helping me, anything like that. I felt like there was this like invisible secret knowledge that I didn't know how to open. And astrology told me my Mars is in my 10th house in Pisces. My Saturn, for people who know very little about like that sort of like kind of more technical astrology, they're like, what the fuck is that, right? Um, and Saturn is in fourth house uh, Virgo. And so I was just like, oh, the way that I resolve it is that Mars, my boxer, is more like Conor McGregor, is much more like, not maybe so much like, uh, kind of like that bro sort of boxer, you know, not that sort of like, I'm just going to crush it, man, you know, 
my boxer is much more like motivated by spiritual things, by esoteric things. Yeah. Um, so you put me in that environment and I will be able to push through. You put me in an environment where I'm told be a dentist or a CPA, not going to work as well. But you put me in a situation where it's sort of like all that weird magic stuff that most people think is just like way out there. I'm motivated, I would say, beyond the average person, you know, like just from myself. So I'm placing myself in a situation where I can win. Yeah. And that builds confidence. And I was like, without astrology, I'm not sure I could have figured that out as easily or as quickly. I would have kept on trying more mainstream things. You know, why don't I, I don't know do some extreme sport. Why don't I do this? You know, yeah. but instead it was just like, no, you can just do more spiritual things. Yeah. Uh, one of the analogies you gave was also sort of like, it doesn't even have to be a boxer and a coach. It could be a dancer, a ballet dancer, who's like going through a very rigorous, you know, I'm thinking like Bolshoi ballet, you know, you're studying to be a prima ballerina. It could also yeah. be that it doesn't have to be just one way. Astrology allows you to feel love for yourself. You can just feel love for who you are and what it is that you do. So your experience of, you know, I could just do, I could just fight to be in this world of spiritual exploration. I can do that. You love that. And you love that about yourself. And that's what your natal chart has in it that like a psychological exam doesn't necessarily have. In the hands of a great therapist, there can be a lot of love, but it's not required. It's actually a very cold clinical world of, um, you know, assessing the self. Astrology is filled with this idea of love. There's this secret ingredient, love. Look for a way to love yourself and find many things to love about yourself. And that's how it starts to kind of reveal a much deeper sense of self. It's not just about who you are, how you behave, and what you're... IQ is and what your social level is, it, it gets to a much deeper level, um, even, you know, deeper than just being creative or just being spiritual. It really starts to reveal the soul, <laughs> that very um, controversial, provocative idea that has not fully died. Um, there's many ways to talk about the soul. There's a long history of what the soul is, but in the hermetic understanding, um, hermetic philosophy, you know, the soul is something that is eternal. There's something eternal, something divine and eternal that is kind of experiencing life through this character, through this body, through the environment, through the experiences. And when you start looking at your natal chart, you really start to love yourself and you realize there's something deeper going on and you get this kind of resonance with the soul and it's really cool. Speaking of love, Venus, like, in our actual solar system, it's going into the constellation of Pisces, right? Which is sort of like, you call it like the ultimate vacation spot for Venus. Like Venus loves, it's like going to Bali. Venus is going yeah. to Bali. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so Venus it. is loving it. So Venus and Pisces for you, well, to break it down really simply, Pisces is Venus's favorite sign to be in, as you said, so Bali. The power that Venus has as a planet is to attract. So you have to imagine that's that's what the purpose of Venus is, is to attract. Um, specifically, to attract spirit into matter. And so this is why Venus is associated with attracting pleasure, sensual experience, love, 
is an attractive force, as we all know. Um, but so is pleasure of any kind, sensual pleasure, um, and the experience of luxury. Just actually taking the time to be attracted to the universe, be attracted to your environment, be attracted to the people that you are surrounded with. And this, of course, kind of reaches its apex in sexual intimacy, but it's not exclusive to it. Venus is all about attracting pleasure and like beauty and, and looking for that wave of sexual intimacy, but not exclusively. Um, so while Venus is in Pisces, it's very important for people to acknowledge that we have three weeks, three weeks where she's in this sign. And therefore, the power to attract those experiences into our lives is greatly heightened. And so for anyone that just wants to acknowledge that and start kind of making some space for that, that's, that's a very simple way to do magic. Just change your consciousness and alter it to actually receive more pleasure, more blessings, more softness, more beauty. First of all, like... Um... When does Venus go into Pisces? February? Uh, depending on where you are in the world. Um, late at night, February 10th, all the way until early, early morning, February, uh, March 6th. So three weeks. Three weeks. Um, and how yeah, does really one consciously, let's say that a person doesn't actually do like ritual magic, but they still right. want to open themselves up to bring right. that Venus energy. How would they do that like practically? So for three weeks, and of course Valentine's Day is falling in this time, so it's a beautiful kind of blend of the linear time world and cyclical time. Um, you need to actually, in order to attract more of more blessings, you need to start blessing yourself. So I would fill the house with flowers. I would eat food that actually delights you. Like take time to actually eat something that brings you great joy. This can be ripe fruit chocolate. You actually need to make more love to yourself. And that's how you can actually work with Venus just on an energetic level without getting into any ritual. Take long baths, get a massage. All women, if you can possibly afford it and at any level that you can afford it, do spa rituals and do at least three. There's three weeks, three Fridays, just for every Friday that's Venus's day or any day that's convenient for you. Do something really, really beautifying, something softening. So get a massage, go to a spa. If you have just your bathtub and like candles and music, that's a really nice thing to do. It sounds really corny, but the way that you work with Venus is by making love to yourself and, and then letting the universe begin to uh, reflect that. So if you're generous with yourself, and you're really soft and graceful and beautifying to your environment, then the grace and the power of Venus and Pisces will begin to reveal itself to you through experiences that will be uncanny. Just that's how magic works, just by coincidence. So you open yourself up to feeling more beautiful, to feeling more loved. You do kind things for yourself. You make your environment extra beautiful, like it's a holiday. Three weeks of a holiday. So Catholics are they're giving up they're doing they're giving up something for Lent. You can make your house more beautiful, make yourself feel more beautiful. And that's a Venusian ritual in and of itself. It's only three weeks out of a year and it's actually good for the whole year. Like this is a way of like worshiping Venus 
just for three weeks. So every time you take a bath, every time you put lotion on, every time you brush your hair, every time you arrange flowers, every time you make food, whatever it is that you do that you really connect to through the senses and certainly making love, you have to kind of like take that seriously. Like this is not just having sex. This is making love. Um, just attuning to energy that way is a great way to acknowledge this transit. Um, yeah. How is doing that during those three weeks, how yeah. is that different? Like if you were to do it, let's say in three months when Venus is not in Pisces, right. like how would that experience be different than doing it consciously during the three weeks when it is in Pisces? Well, um, that's where we get into uh, seasonal weather. So if you did that anytime, it would be great because it's good to treat yourself well and there's no harm in doing that always. Um, but the benefit of actually doing it during this window of time, it's like catching a wave. It's like catching on the right wind, actually. So if you were, um, if you were on the open sea on a ship, you can get anywhere you want to go with a motor or in the ancient world, you can row. You can get anywhere you want to go in the ocean by rowing or using a motor. But what's really beautiful is when the wind is at your back, it's a lot easier. When the currents are flowing your way and the wind is at your back, the lightest touch gets so much more done. So what I'm actually presenting is that the season of Venus in her exaltation is like having the wind at your back. So anything that you do during that time to really honor that element of life, that experience of life, pleasure, luxury, attraction, love at its most primal level. Um, it's like having the sails of your ship filled with a wind that's pushing that towards the direction that you want it to go. So I guess it just, it's more efficient. It's like a huge return on investment. I know a lot of people during Valentine's season, they get kind of bummed out and depressed because they're just like, I don't have a man, I don't have anybody, my life kind of sucks, you know, I don't, it's not like I can go and get flowers for myself either, you know, um, yeah. I don't want to, I want somebody to give it to me, like, how, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, so many women, they get so, so, so depressed around Valentine's Day, but, like, right yeah. now is, like, actually a time to sort of turn that energy around, like, it's super yeah. important, right, like, during those three weeks. Um, well, I would say that there is absolutely, there is uh, a quality to this part of Venus's cycle. So Venus and Pisces, that's very healing. So if you can think of the sign of Pisces represents the ocean and Venus kind of traversing the ocean has this dissolute softening quality. And so I actually do, um, I do teach clients how to use this transit to, um, use the first week to heal wounds and scars from the past because everyone has love wounds 100% it is not you know it's not just you if you feel like that right now um I can only count on one hand how many of my friends have married parents most people come from heartbreak and and betrayal like most people have wounds in relationship to love and they're very serious and it's a it's a collective scar um, so I do think it's important to use this time to actually soften and heal wounds. And sometimes you don't know how to do that, like consciously. Um, and that's why I do think it is very beneficial to um, 
actually acknowledge the pain that you're carrying around at the beginning of this transit and maybe write out a list of the things that you know are preventing you from feeling like you deserve love, feeling like you deserve time to take a bath. It's not just relationship wounds. Some people don't feel like they can love themselves. They're so busy taking care of others. They never like take a bath. They never relax. They never do anything nice for themselves. So Venus in Pisces is a very good transit to soften a lot of pain and let it dissolve and release it. Um, I do recommend any kind of healing modality that works for you. You know, um, people have different favored methods of therapy. Um, this is a really good time to get massages, to talk to a shaman, to talk to your psychotherapist, to go to group therapy, to go out with girlfriends and have like a night that's devoted to you guys not caring about the men you know, that have hurt you. Whatever it is that you can do conscientiously to heal um, is also very favored because the idea is that if you can soften old scars, heal the past, let the past go, not forget it. It's not about forgetting it. It's about letting the scars and the pain go. When you can do that, then you can actually usher in a new experience of pleasure, love, romance, intimacy, but it's not dependent on romance. And that's why I did um, make that that point. Um, the experience of attraction, it reaches its apex in sexual intimacy, but we experience Venusian pleasure in many acts and many areas of life. So if romance is a problem right now, first of all, you're not alone. And second of all, there are other ways to appreciate Venus. You can make yourself feel beautiful. You can enjoy a beautiful meal. You can um, go spend time in a place that speaks to you. It could be the beach. It could be a garden. Just actually work with the experience of beauty, finding beauty, grounding yourself in beauty, making that a priority, no matter where you're at in terms of love and relationships. Um, that's what I would recommend. And I was very shocked to find that my Venus was ninth house Aquarius. Um, and so that's what comes naturally to me. And I can look back in my life and be like, you know what? All the times I thought like a relationship would make me the happiest. Actually, I was happiest and most myself when I was doing ninth house Venus things. So for a beginner and they're looking at their chart, they go to astro.com. They put in all their information. Can you talk a little bit about all the different Venuses? We'll start with Venus uh, rules the signs of Taurus and Libra. So those are the places where she finds her, her enthronement. Um, and that's why Pisces is her favorite vacation spot. Because just because she's at home somewhere and rules the place doesn't mean that she's happiest there. Because we all know that no matter how beautiful our home, we have a lot of responsibilities. So in Taurus, Venus's responsibility is to ground the spirit in the body itself, in the five senses. It is the most sensual experience of Venus in the entire zodiac. The, the enhancement of, of taste, touch, I mean, it's just an incredible amount of sensory perception. And the reason why Venus and Taurus comes with that is so that she will guide other people to appreciate what this world has to offer. So the scent of things, the taste of things, the touch of things. People with Venus and Taurus 
are super sexy. And they're also very, they have fine taste, very, very fine taste, probably the best taste in materials. So they tend to make great perfumists, great tea makers, great um, floral arrangers, great clothing designers, great taste in everything. Uh, Venus and Libra, um, so Taurus is an earth sign, the body, the senses. Libra is an air sign, and therefore it deals with ideas and intellectual matters. So Venus in Libra, she tries to bring harmony through the experience of art and beauty. Um, she tries to bring harmony to ideas through beauty. So basically, if you have if you have war and you have warring ideas and conflicting ideologies and opinions flying around, Venus tries to bring harmony through the experience of beauty, art. Um, opera is a way to get a whole bunch of diplomats into a room and just shut up and get along because they're in awe of something together. That's Venus in Libra. Um, creating manners, social niceties, customs, so that everybody feels embraced, everybody feels comfortable. So the idea of actually following etiquette for great purpose, that's a Venus in Libra idea. So they tend to be very good with people and they're very graceful with people and very aware of what's fair. So people with Venus in Libra, they always give back what they receive and they tend to be wonderful gift givers because they're always aware of what's fair, what's just, how to keep balance, how to keep harmony. Um, and they, they're certainly good partners. Um, that doesn't mean that they always have the easiest time with partners because a Venus in Libra person is very people pleasing and people with that placement will oftentimes find that a pattern of people pleasing to a ridiculous extent until they learn how to uh, keep that balanced. Um, but they are good. They are good with people. Um, Venus in Pisces. So people with Venus in Pisces natally, they have uh, the most magical and attractive power in the zodiac for just making their dreams into reality <laughs> like they dream of things and those things kind of just they just appear they just happen for them um the things that they pull out of their daydreams are suddenly a reality for them and this is their experience they tend to have a gentle and compassionate nature and most people really love them and it's one reason why things always materialize for them, because most people just adore them and want to make things happen for them. So they just have that quality of a je ne sais quoi, getting what they want. Um, but they're kind about it. It's not like a very, um, they're not ruthless trying to get one over on people. It's just like this soft, graceful, kind of daydreamy life. Um, and we'll say, let's look at like Venus in... Leo, Venus in Leo is somebody who is incredibly charismatic. Probably the word glamorous would be the most evocative term. Venus in Leo is golden, glimmering, shining, and filled with personality. Um, most people will be attracted to this person. <laughs> most people will find them to be fascinating and they'll want to be in their presence because they have this glow and they just always look a little bit extra. Um, my friend Ashley has one and she, she's a Venus in Leo and she always says extra as fuck. Mm -hmm. That's Venus in Leo, just a little extra as fuck. And they are good at parties. 
Um, Venus in, let's say, well, how about you pick a sign and I'll try to, I'll try to expound. Well, is there a sign that Venus feels a little bit more challenged in? Yeah. Well, yeah. Venus in Scorpio. Venus in Scorpio. So this is probably, you know, if you read about it in pop astrology, Venus is in Scorpio's the femme fatale, the vixen. Um, and it's all very sexy and exciting. However, Venus and Scorpio people, they do have quite a deep hunger and desire for intimacy. And it's for intimacy. It's not just for sex. It's not as simple as that. If it was just sex, it would be easy enough, you know, but they actually, they have a craving that never leaves them for intimacy and intensity and passion. And so they're hungry all the time and it's very difficult for them to get that hunger fed and so they tend to be super super intense that's how people feel about them um they can be almost devouring in that way now are they are they fascinating mysterious beautiful yes absolutely and they do have a certain like magnetic power um but their problem is that the, the waters of scorpio are the dark places of the psyche where the shadow and the unconscious halls uh, reside. And so people with Venus in Scorpio, much like Venus in Pisces, they have this quality of being able to attract what they dream about. But Venus in Scorpio is, um, it's locked into less, less lovely dreams and kind of deals with the darker territories. So a lot of the times they attract dark characters into their life, dark experiences. They learn through the shadow lands of life and they can have a lot of super intense experiences with possessiveness, manipulation, addiction, things like that. So that is a tough placement of Venus. But again, it doesn't mean anyone's fated to anything. You can become the most like healing, happy, joyful Venus and Scorpio person. Um, but you acknowledge that you have a lot of, you have a great deal of hunger and desire for life's intense, ecstatic moments. And when you learn to handle that, when you learn that desire is ceaseless in everyone, this is just a really fixed point for scorpionic energy. Desire is ceaseless for each of us. When you eat, you become hungry again. You know, when you think that this is all the money you need, you find out that you need more. That's just how it goes. And so Venus and Scorpio learns that lesson, um, that there's no, there's no end to desire, <laughs> no matter how intense. There's no end to desire. There's nothing you could do that will end that. And so it ends up making you wise. It ends up making you wise. Mm. I love that. So somebody who's read about Venus and Scorpio and been like, oh my God, my chart sucks, right? And yeah. feeling like that about it, they can also see it as, wait, actually, it makes me wise. I get to basically cram like 20 lifetimes worth of lessons about what it means to really desire and desire in a way that's actually not only cool and fun and have like books and songs written about me because I'm the type of woman who maybe pulls in experiences that are book worthy and that are worthy of being, you know, immortalized in art and stuff because the type of life that I lead makes people realize there's so much more than just like a mundane experience, you know? 
exactly. I mean, so actually we need Venus in Scorpio just as much as we need like a Venus in Pisces or Venus in anything else. Oh yeah. I mean, there's no bad placement. And that's something I stress in my class and Chaw Wun heard. It's not, there's no bad placement. There are different lessons to be learned. There's different things to appreciate. Um, and I think in the 21st century, I think we're really ready to admit that like, all ripe sweet fruit is good. It's just different flavors. And you can't actually, you can't really compare apples to oranges. It's silly, you know? Like, apples are good and so are oranges. Why get all upset if you have an apple instead of an orange? They have their different uses, their different purpose. Um, Venus in Scorpio is a dark, strange fruit. <laughs> but it's great. I don't have that placement, but I've, I've talked to many and they're the blessing that they have is experiencing such an intense, such an intense passion for life. Um, even if they do have a lot of darkness swirl around them, I believe they think it's worth it because they're really having a good time. They really feel things. They really get to the, the heart of the matter. They experience intimacy at a very deep level, even if it's not considered socially acceptable in the moment it's still like wow it's powerful it's communion with other souls so yeah of course those uh placements are good too the ones that are traditionally considered bad um so i do anyone who's looking at their chart and they've read that that's a bad placement please don't assume that that's not what astrology is for <laughs> like it's not another chance to look down on yourself and feel bad where can we learn more from you about Venus and this Venus transit that's coming up? Actually, I developed a workshop uh, that's going to be held on Saturday, February 10th. It's called Sublime, the Art and Magic of Venus in Pisces. And it's going to be recorded. So anyone that wants to attend but can't make it at the time, you know, you can view the recording later. I'm going to be giving a little bit of uh, a background on Venus, more the esoteric meaning of Venus and Pisces, a little bit more about the sign, a little bit more about the planet. And then I'm actually going to offer some instructions on doing magic. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I'm going to offer some very traditional techniques, how to actually ritualistically harness the energies of Venus and Pisces for the purpose of healing and then attracting more love and luxury into your life. Um, and the reason why I developed it is because I have a lot of friends and a lot of clients that are in great need of healing their love wounds. And those, those wounds are romantic and otherwise. You know, there's just a lot of wounds um, dealing with self-love and in relationship to others. And so I thought it would be more efficient than me telling every single person one at a time how to do this um, just to actually create something that I could distribute to everyone, my friends and clients. So that's why I created this workshop. Um, I, I started instructing people in Venus and Pisces two years ago and it's been really helpful. So I think it's finally time to just teach this one special thing. I do not have a workshop for every transit, but this one's important. You said the workshop is one day and it's on February 10th? Mm -hmm. The recording will be made available for the duration of the transit, pretty much. So it would be relevant to watch anywhere between February 11th through February 28th or even early March. The transit's technically over on the 6th, so 
you could feasibly view this anytime between February 10th and March 6th and have it be very helpful. And I'm also thinking that for those of us who do magic, perhaps like working with this Venus to heal, it will just make our magic that much more powerful because we don't have the obstructions in the way of our magic. And you kind of teach, I mean, you are gonna teach magic. You're gonna teach how to make talismans. You're gonna teach us how to do magical things during this workshop. Exactly, yeah. First part is like history and background. Second part is um, basically magical arts and crafts. Um, oh, and the techniques I'm gonna be teaching are, they're very traditional. Uh, they go back to the Renaissance. And I'm sure they're much older than that, but those are the texts that I draw from for my information. So what I am teaching is at least as old as the Renaissance. Um, and it's also really easy, I promise. It's not hard, anyone can do it. I call it arts and crafts. <laughs> is there yeah. gonna be glitter involved? If you want to put glitter in, absolutely. I teach a very rudimentary thing and I ask for anyone with any creative spirit to add on top of it and make it their own. So of course, <laughs> like, of course, I think that would be really nice. So Rachel, thank you so much for talking with me today. And guys, like, let me know in the comments, like, where's your Venus in your natal chart? <laughs> and you know, like, Look, just go on astro.com, okay? Just put in your information um, and it'll tell you like where it is and how you feel about that Venus. Like what are some good points that you feel about that Venus? And what are some things maybe negative that you've heard about your Venus placement that, you know, you could maybe turn it into something that's like super rad. Guys, if you have an opportunity to take Rachel's class, Discovery, I really, really recommend it. Discovery is also a really great, I would say almost like half astrology, half magic course, which makes it super unique amongst all the other astrology classes. So highly recommend that and definitely check out her workshop on February 10th, Venus in Pisces. Venus is going to Bali. Venus <laughs> is loving it in Bali soon. <laughs> so thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you, Chama. It's been my pleasure. I'm so happy to talk to you. everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>